Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. What up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John, it is the last evening of the longest month of my life that I can remember. Yeah, I mean, this has been just deflating, honestly. Like, I'm just going out of my mind. Um, Working from home is just, you know, it's just tough. It's just tough. The noise and everything and i mean there's good and there's bad it's just it's just days are just running together like what day is it <laughs> you know um i just 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 missing normal life but we gotta keep at it until we get this nip this thing in the in the butt so we can finally have some kind of normal living coming up soon i don't know what that normal living will be <laughs> probably wearing lucha masks and uh <laughs> Uh, whatever <laughs> gloves or hazmat suits of necks, I don't know, but that's what I was, I was talking to our our uh, buddy Robert Silva, and he says that he goes back to work next week, and he thinks that he's going to have to wear like a lot of you know a suit or, or something like that just in order to go to work. Well, I didn't know that we got an email with the masks. Like if you're in the office, you have to wear a mask. If um, you can take your mask off, if you're you know, six feet away from someone, and so at least masks for sure are going to be mandatory at my at my office. When I go back, I don't know if of you know when I'm supposed to go back. Whatever that is, with the seventeenth? No, no, the eighteenth of May, supposedly. But who knows if I say you know because they're still you know some people work from home. Maybe they'll continue for me working from home still. So I don't know if that's going to last even longer. So. Right we'll, right, we'll see. We'll see in a couple weeks. Okay, so uh, quickly, um, we'll, we'll dig into some stuff here. Uh, before I wanted to, to mention some really good news, I uh, just want to thank our sponsors, Bet Online, and our, and our new sponsor this week, Blue Chew. Tony Schiavone is not the only one who gets to talk about Blue Chew. Uh, so there is some happy news, which is you and your wife celebrated an anniversary. COVID uh, quarantine anniversary today. Yes, our ninth year wedding anniversary is today. So, um, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. We uh, we went wild and we ordered takeout, mm-hmm. you know, for dinner. Got some really found this really cool seafood place here. It was actually, it's like really down the street from our house, and it was actually pretty amazing. So it was it was cool. But other, you know, but we just been, you know, it's all about the kids, three of them. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> kids and keeping up with that and switching off and and uh, by the time the kids on the bed it's like i gotta record a podcast so yeah that was our anniversary yeah um so just um j- just get through some stuff so kind of a lot of stuff going on around the podcast and around the website which supports this podcast fight game media uh so 
if you go back with us uh, a long ways, some of you may remember uh, the podcast, the boxing podcast that Duan and I did called The Fabulous Four. I mentioned that we put those those podcasts up on uh, on YouTube because we do, we don't have uh, we don't have them in our in our current feed. They were in, they were in a prior feed, but instead I put them on YouTube. Just you know, YouTube sort of is forever. So depending on you know, I would hope that our podcast stays on this feed, but you never know. And so I just put them in, on YouTube. But uh, Duan and I are going to get back together. I've been wanting to do another project with him, and you know, he he lives in in, in uh, Ireland. So it's uh, like seven hours ahead. So, you know, we, we have to really plan to do stuff. So we've been talking about another podcast series that we're going to do, which is eight shows, uh, maybe nine, d- depending on, on, on how we split it up. But we are going to do a podcast on the Rocky saga. So movies, Rockies one through five. Number six is Rocky Balboa. Seven is Creed and eight is Creed two. And depending on if they do another movie, we may have to come back at a later date. But <laughs> we're probably going to start recording uh, in the next couple weeks or so. Uh, but I am kind of I'm looking at the looking at the schedule here and thinking early June when we start dropping them. And so this podcast uh, drops you know, Friday morning for most people, if you're up really late Thursday night, sometimes we're, we're done before midnight, but rarely usually drop it before, uh, you know, Friday morning. Uh, so there will be another podcast, uh, you know, for, for you Rocky lovers uh, during the week, probably, you know, middle of the week or, or, or so. But I'm also thinking about um, splitting our podcast into two pieces because we do different segments and, you know, I've, I've been looking at the times lately, especially when we go really deep on the We Want Flare stuff. And, you know, that that is um, that is a long show for someone to get through on, on a Friday morning. So thinking about splitting up our show into a Friday morning show and then maybe a Monday morning show. Uh, also, you know, when we do when we record Sunday nights sometimes for for pay-per-view or you know back when there was pay-per-views and stuff uh but you know so we could we could have multiple shows during the week but they would be shorter a little a little less uh of an investment time to to get through stuff and you know you know friday and monday is a different day for for some folks so thinking about doing that as well so you know there's going to be more content from this this show and the the folks who uh, who have been part of you know, part of the fight game media back when it was fight game blog, uh, doing hit do I've known doing. And, you know, I, I, I was, I was talking about, uh, you know, redesigning the website, like re-theming. I'm not creating a design. I'm looking at themes and, and buying themes to, to, to relaunch the website and, uh, fight the f- original fight game blog. I was looking back in emails. I had recruited, uh, Alan for and, you know, we love Alan. Alan is the best. And uh, our buddy, Big D, Danny, w- was part of it as well. And then Alan told me, he's like, hey, you know, if you want to do MMA and boxing, like I know this guy, like one of my best friends, and he's amazing. And so Duan was with us right at that time frame. So we're talking 2008 when Fight Game Blog first started. And so I've known Duan, you know, since since then, and he was – Gosh, he was a young, he was like a young, you know, 20 something 
probably pretty close to my kid's age at this point. Uh, but you know, now he's, you know, now he's, uh, he, he, he's he's a very mature <laughs> grown up, but it's so funny because I know, you know, just knowing him and Alan and I've known Big D since he was like 18 or something. So uh, it's kind of funny seeing these guys as 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 adults and grown ups. Um, but anyways, so uh, Fight Game Blog sort of been in existence for a long time. And now, you know, now it's like 12 or 13 years later, relaunching it can have uh, going to do a soft launch next week because of UFC 249. Um, they are going to run not this weekend, but next weekend. And, you know, I thought it's kind of a perfect time to to uh, to have some content. So we're going to have guys like uh, Ryan Frederick, Paul Fontaine, Justin Nipper um, and, and, and maybe Chris Aiken. So guys like that who who have, have written, you know, small things for us in, in the past, they're going to kind of you know, be writing a little bit more frequently. Obviously, Robert Silva, I'm going to try to get you to to do something. I'm going to try to do something I haven't written in so long. And so we're going to kind of do like this little soft relaunch next week. So, uh, you know, come Monday, fightgamemedia.com, you will have, you will see a new look and you will see some new content. And so I hope people kind of get a kick out of it. I've been, I've been having a blast doing, getting it ready and everything for, uh, for these last couple weeks, but it's, we're close. So look, really looking forward to that. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we want flair. We just wrapped up the, uh, we want flair for April, which is uh, Flair and Savage from WrestleMania 8. So we told that whole story from Flair coming to WWF and all the way through WrestleMania 8. And that whole saga, you know, the past three weeks, if you've listened to this show, we've we've had it in the last segment of every show. I'm going to take all of those segments and put them on YouTube probably next week. So that will be up in full. If you haven't listened to that whole thing and want to listen to it, it'll be on YouTube next week. In lieu of We Want Flair, uh, since we're not going to come, we're not going to do one this week, we're going to come back probably next week with uh, Hogan and Flair from Halloween Havoc. And my goal is to tell the story of Hogan joining WCW and all the backstory of that, then the the Bash at the Beach match, and then this match from uh, from October of '94, and then um, and then we'll get kick we'll get going on that. So we'll have you know several weeks of, of of that Hogan and Flair, and then in May, I'm sorry, in June, we will finish this six month run of We Want Flair with Hog- uh, Flair and Sting from Great American Bash 1990. So tell that whole story of Sting beating Flair. And, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a longer run because Sting gets hurt. And then the aftermath is that, you know, you finally put the belt on Sting and it's like, uh, okay, now what? <laughs> and, and you know, that, that whole run, that whole like summer, fall and winter of 1990 is so interesting when you, when you look back. So that's all coming and then after June, I think we're going to put a pause on the We Want Flair. I, I asked you uh, earlier, or actually late, uh, last week I asked you, I said, hey, you know, if we put a, put, a, put a pause on the We Want Flair, is there anything that's on the network that we could talk about weekly? And you brought up that WCW Saturday night from 1992 
is all on the network. So I think we're just going to jump into like July, first week of July, and just recap those shows, much like we did the whole 93 Monday Night Raw for all of last year's shows. And that, that so, you know, not that we want Flair's going away. We're just, I think we're just going to take a break and then we'll probably come back in 2021 with, uh, with more We Want Flair. It's just a heavy research uh, thing for me. Uh, because, you know, the, there's lots of digging through his book and digging through observers and digging through other books that, that are out there that have some of the story. So this is more just like there will still be research on my end, but it, it'll, it'll just be less intensive. And uh, and yeah, so, you know, just to what what is that period? What do you like about that period as far as why that was something that that you were interested in talking about that 92 WCW? Um, I always had a love for 1992 WCW, uh, the Watts era. The wrestling's really good, very hard hitting. Um, most of you know, most of the shows are are damn good, and you get you know really good uh, matches. And I think it'd be a fun period to talk about Watts and changing of the rules and kind of how he was a little you know old school with certain things that you know probably didn't fit in the time period. <laughs> And um, there, I'm sure a lot of stuff that happened backstage, frustration with the you know with the Turner and Watts, and eventually leading up to him being uh, fired in uh, February 1993. I don't know if we'll, we'll, we'll probably cover that the last episode, but uh, uh, after that run, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in 1992, and it'd be fun to look back at that that time. I remember a lot of people, you know, because business wise it was down, so a lot of people don't look at that as like a a fun time like, or, or, or a highlight time of wrestling but uh but a lot of my friends like you know growing up we'd always talk about that time frame 1992 and wcw when it came that time frame you know you had the steiners there you had steve williams and terry gordian uh big van vader was getting his singles push um you had cactus jack you had a lot of great talent so growing up i mean a lot of my friends loved it so um you know a lot of my friends after you know, meeting and wrestling, you know, would talk about that time frame. So it would just be fun to kind of look back at those shows and see if they were good as I remember them. The 91-92 WCW era is very memorable to me because I think, I mean, I've mentioned this 20 times on this show. I was not more dialed into pro wrestling as a, more as a fan than sort of as, as how I am now. I still am, am a fan, but I, I kind of look at it in a different way. But that era, I was not, I, I was watching every weekend show possible, every clash, you know, you and I've talked about listening to dynamite D on the cable radio news network or whatever. And so, you know, I was so dialed into this era. So it's fun to, to look back. Uh, and you know, WCW is a little interesting cause they're bringing in new characters while at the same time taking WWF guys who, for whatever reason, you know, were unhappy or, maybe failed some drug tests and, and got fired. Um, and, and so, you know, there, there's a nice mix of talent. You had a young Steve Austin, stunning Steve Austin. Rick Rude is 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 doing his thing in 92. So really, really fun time. And, you know, at the end of this show, like I said, in lieu of We Want Flair, we're actually going to look at Clash of Champions 18, which isn't in the era that summer of 92 that we're going to cover, but it is uh, it is in 1992, January, right before 
the uh, the Super Brawl show. And it's funny because this show is like a few days after the Royal Rumble, which is the Royal Rumble that we just covered with, mm-hmm. with Ric Flair and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that, that'll be fun. And so at the end of the show, we're talking about Clash 18. We, uh, we did a little bit of a, a Zoom thing with the folks in the Fight Game blog or Fight Game um, podcast uh, Facebook group. So uh, that was a lot of fun, just chit chatting with the with the fellas, and I think we're gonna try to do something else uh, for Money in the Bank. So you know, if, if you're interested in in uh, getting into a fun Facebook group where we talk about this stuff, definitely check it out. But uh, okay, so before we start talking about the uh, dark side of the ring with Doctor D David Schultz, let's talk about our friends, our partner Bet Online. You've heard me talk about Bet Online before. There's no NBA, there's no NHL, there's no MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong because our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, they just had the, uh, the draft last weekend, which was kind of crazy. Because it was all, uh, you know, shot uh, in in different places. Because they, they, you couldn't actually have the draft at a, at an a, at an arena like like they usually do. Uh, but so th- we finally got like a taste of a sporting event again. But uh, Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, which is just in a it's in a zone right now survivor is so good right now big brother american idol stock prices and even the nathan's hot dog eating contest all open 24 hours a day and all online get uh go to betonline.com or i'm sorry betonline.ag and use the promo code bluewire to join today and receive your new welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution i am still waiting for Paul Fontaine and Ryan Frederick to uh, do their piece for uh, for Fight Game Media, which they look at the the big cards, the the pay per view UFC shows, and they give their picks about you know what what they think are the are the best bets. And then once I get their information, I'm going directly to Bet Online to put a little of my own money on some of these fights. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? Whack, whack me in the ear. And knocked me down, and then I stupidly got up again. Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? I was always taught, man, get up. You gotta knock him back down. Because if he gets up, he might hurt you. So, okay, so uh, let's talk about the Dr. D. David Schultz dark side of the ring. You said that you were gonna watch this with your wife. Did you happen to do this? Yes, yes, we watched it together. Okay, before I even get your thoughts, because she has a very... Um, her, 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 the things that stick out to her in wrestling, uh, are actually very entertaining to me. So I'm really wondering what, what did she comment on? And I'm hoping the first thing she commented on was Dr. D David Schultz's just sweet, sweet perm. Hmm. No, she didn't mention his perm, but she did mention, she didn't like Dr. D. She thought he thought he, she thought he's a crazy man. Oh yeah, so his his gimmick was uh, really working on her really well. So um, she thought it was uh, rude for him to uh, slap John Stossel. Um, she thought it was appalling to see Hulk Hogan choke out 
Richard Belzer. Oh, man, that was rough to see, huh? Um, and after that, she kind of got busy with the kids. So, <laughs> so uh, like, she didn't hear all the bounty hunter stuff, which I, which I found interesting uh, hearing those kind of stories. But uh, I, it was entertaining. I liked it. Um, you know, Dr. D's an interesting character, great promo, uh, very charismatic guy. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, they, they're shooting their own angle, you know, with you know how they wanted to tell the story. And, you know, it's Dark Side of the Ring. It's just they're going to sensationalize a lot of it. And, mm-hmm. and so, but, but as a watch, it was, it was entertaining. Okay, so going back to what the focus of was for this show, the 2020 John Stossel Pro Wrestling Expose um do you remember when you saw that for the first time it was later i didn't see it when it first aired um i i think i caught it like might have been on a god i think i saw it on a tape like one of those extra a lot of people when you do do tape trade because the tape would be like six hours long right and say the show was like two hours or four hours sometimes the tape trader would just send you know some extra footage on the tape so I think I have it on a tape somewhere. That's when I first saw it. And I remember just thinking it was, uh, you know, I, first, I think I was probably upset because, you know, hey, why are you making fun of wrestling, you know? So mm-hmm. um, so to me, I wasn't really offended when uh, I finally saw David Schultz smack um, John Stossel. Okay, so I don't remember when I heard of this, but I definitely had heard about it before I'd actually seen it. And so we're talking, you know, this thing is... I think it was uh, late 84, December or something like that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not watching wrestling really at that time. I'm still really young. You know, I, I, I would get into it probably just about a year later. Hardcore. You know, I, I did see WrestleMania, the first one, like on like a like a month delay or something. But I would get into it like as a huge fan about a year later. So I had heard about this tape. I don't even remember where I would have heard about it. I I did have a friend who was actually my cousin, my older cousin, uh, you know, my older cousin, Bruce, Mm -hmm. he, you know, Bruce is about, Bruce is about seven years older than me. And so this guy, uh, his friend was about four years older than me. And he was a hardcore wrestling fan when he was younger. So he had all the Madison Square Garden stuff, which I thought was just ridiculous. Like, how, how can you see all these matches? I didn't even understand how he, he was able to see it. But he had the Madison Square Garden network, which I think became actually became the USA channel. Um, and so he had a, a bunch of wrestling tapes. And I I'd been I was over his house one day and I was just like, oh man, what's this? What's this? What's this? So he had like a few just like, you know, like you said, the six hour tapes where if all it said was wrestling, like your immediately thought was like, I wonder what's on this thing. And, you know, for people who are younger than us, who don't understand the VCR era, like you think you guys are collectors now with, you know, collecting, you know, putting all your favorite matches on hard drives and all kinds of burning shows to DVDs. Like back in the day in the VCR era, there were two things that if you saw, 
if you were rummaging through like an old an aunt or or a cousin's just VHS tape and people would just be taping stuff off of the TV just to save it onto VHS and if you're looking through their stash two things would generally stop me maybe three things one would be old boxing matches that I had never seen live before but I just heard about similarly to like baseball and basketball and football stuff but that stuff was a lot easier to find because ESPN would like create you know these great movies on on stuff so I had seen most of that stuff but boxing matches were one porn obviously <laughs> you get a little bit as you get I, a little bit older I was wondering if you're gonna say that I <laughs> no like, I mean you I, know, was, I was thinking about the three I'm like I know two and porn was definitely second on that list but like, people, first, don't, people, don't, people don't understand this because it is so accessible now, right? Like you just open up your computer and like close your eyes and type a URL and find something. But back then, like it was like so secretive that if you found anything, if you found a a movie that had a half of a boob in it, like you're going to figure out exactly where that mark was uh, when you're like 14. Um, <laughs> a so, so, uh, so, but the other thing was obviously wrestling. If I saw any tapes that had wrestling on it, I'm immediately begging to borrow it because I'm so interested in the history of wrestling. And I know my current stuff, but I didn't know anything pre-84, you know, because that's when Coliseum Home Video first started was like that era. And so he had this tape and a lot of it was some really old stuff. It was like this uh, before the All-American Wrestling, there was a different show on the USA Channel and, um, you know, there was like Hogan squash matches on it and stuff. And, and so I was watching that stuff. And then the 2020 thing is on it. And so when I first saw this, after hearing about the legend, I was like just my mouth agape wide open. The slap thing didn't affect me as much as Eddie Mansfield blading right on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing where I was like, whoa, I can't believe he just showed you how to do this. Like, I sort of knew that there was a, a gimmick to it, and I knew that it was, you know, I'd, I'd read somewhere that that's actually a real blade, but I'd never actually seen someone just go, oh, yeah, we just do this, and he just rakes his forehead with this blade and just starts bleeding right on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, that was so amazing to me. Um, and the uh, the whole thing about this uh, investigative, you know, 2020 reporting, you know, next door was covered by 2020. This is obviously years and years and years later. So the show's changed, but you know, when you're covered by 2020, there's a little bit of a, of a, okay, where, what's the gotcha here? Like, you know, where are we going to be surprised and having to defend ourselves? And obviously, you know, when you have David Schultz slapping the reporter on camera on film, that's like gold, right? So Stossel, Stossel's a, a bit of a weasel in, in the whole thing, but I think he created the, you know, he, he, he needled them enough to where something happened. And, and I'm not saying that he wanted Dr. D to slap him. Obviously, that's not the case because he was also on this show. And uh, he seems to be very upset, but he also seems to understand wrestling a little bit where he's like, oh, I kind of know how to press buttons here and push mm-hmm. buttons. But, you know, I, 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 uh, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that in every episode so far, I, I guess I would say with the exception of the Jimmy Snuka 
episode where they're telling this really seedy story. And look, the Brawl for All thing is not that seedy. That was just uh, more more stupid than, 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 than seedy. But Chris Benoit was portrayed in a, in, in a fairly positive light for some of that. Um, New Jack was portrayed in this like really positive light for, for that episode. And you're just like, he's doing all of these bad things. And then in this episode, like Dr. D is kind of, you like, you kind of feel a little for him based on what he's saying. And, and what he's saying is probably not 100% the truth, but I was, uh, you know, I think he was a very, he was a very entertaining character, even in this older version of Dr. D. Cause I, I mean, I remember watching him in the mid eighties and just being like, this guy is like really scary. Like they showed the old, uh, I don't know if it was on TNT or whatever, where he's got the guns and he's shooting <laughs> them off in the house and Vince McMahon is going nuts. Like, you know, it's obviously for, for show, but he just seemed real, you know, everything seemed fake except for him. And I, even in some of those old, old uh, Coliseum home videotapes, he, for whatever reason, he just seemed real. Uh, did, when did you, would did, uh, you know, by the time you, you were watching wrestling, he was probably gone by then, right? Yeah, he was gone. The only time I ever saw him, like before, was just like in magazines. I would talk about him or bring up old, you know, pictures of him, and I would read about the 2020 thing in the in the PWI. They would they would cover it or mention that he slapped a reporter. Um, so I didn't see his work until later on, and I like his work a lot. I like his stuff. I like his promos. I like how he wrestles. Um, totally different from today. I feel like. I was just, you know, maybe deep dive into some matches of his that were on YouTube. And it's like, man, you know, he's really, really good. And I just w- wish there was more wrestlers like him nowadays. Everyone kind of wrestles the same. So, um, but yeah, he was uh, he was fantastic, big. And, you know, the best part is he can talk. He had that Southern thing. And what tripped me out was, um, you know, I was thinking, like, in 85 and he left, like, how, you know, why didn't he go to Crockett or something like that? And actually... I was listening to Jim Cornette's interview with him that he just put up. I think it was last week. And he mentioned that, like, did you ever go to Crockett? And he said, he said that he was, you know, no one wanted to use him. And I don't know. And he's, and like, Cornette was kind of saying, like, I wish I was your agent then because I would have got you in there and you could have drawn some big money with these guys. I was thinking that too. I'm like, God, man, can you imagine David Schultz in 1985 and NWA, you know? Wrestling Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes. You could turn them babyface to team up with those guys against the Russians, right? This this you know, hillbilly redneck, you know, defending the United States would be perfect for that for that territory. Um, I just he just never went in. He just never went there, and uh, he also got a you know made a lot of money being a bounty hunter. So mm-hmm. you know, he found a second life on that. And that stuff was really interesting to me. That that's 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 nuts, man. That that lifestyle just like finding someone and taking them in and you know i you know i'm sure some of the stuff he embellished a little bit right obviously he's a worker but you know you know as a bounty hunter i don't think you can really embellish a lot of those stories it's pretty pretty scary stuff yeah they big dave has a really good story in the observer which dropped a little bit early this evening about david schultz and big dave seemed to think that once that happened uh that David Schultz as a wrestler with WWF at that time, he was already way cooled off. Like he wasn't in any of the, uh, any of the top cards anymore. And secondly, because of what happened, 
the the other companies just were not interested in him. Uh, maybe they were a little bit scared off. Maybe they were a little bit worried about the stench of of him. But I think for for NWA, there's also this thing about you know they were obviously more so than WWF more of a worker's territory. And he was never really known as like a, a really good worker. He was known as a great heel and a great interview, but from a work standpoint, you know, and this is not to say that everybody who was in NWA was a great worker because, you know, Nikita Koloff was, was not what you would consider a great worker. He was a great character. So I, I do, I mean, I wonder about that too, sort of like you, I was watching it and then, in a, and then big Dave had had his, uh, had his piece, but yeah, just uh, it was it was that was a fun show. I, I thought it tapered off a little bit in the second half of it. I would have loved to, I would have loved to hear about uh, more about Hogan because there's definitely this. Uh, there there was a relationship, there was a friendship there. Hogan got actually got him into WWF, and then at some point that friendship uh, ended. And and this is not covered in the documentary, but. 1992 kind of this the time frame that we're talking about with this flare stuff and and the wcw saturday night era he comes actually back into the media because wwf is going through hell with the steroids with the drug stuff and with the um you know the, the sexual yeah the sexual stuff and so dr d comes back him and superstar billy graham are dropping big dimes at this time. And so he comes back and he's talking about, you know, he injected Hulk Hogan and he and Hogan took steroids together and Hogan's steroids were on his daughter's dresser and Hogan's a big cokehead. And, and so he's, you know, he's just dropping dime after dime after dime. And that's the part where they're talking about friendship where he doesn't mention that. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, part of the reason Hogan probably doesn't like me is because I was dropping major dimes on him in 1992. But that that part wasn't covered. Um, I mean, anyways. I, but I can imagine, like, Schultz probably was hard to deal with, you know. You know, and not just before this. Just before just before the Stossel stuff. He probably had some issues with Vince or agents, you know, kind of had an attitude, was kind of tough to deal with. And, you know, maybe he was getting some heat on him. And then Hogan, you know, sh- He's not going to rest up, mess up his gig, right, with with Vince. So, you know, when a guy gets heat on him in the locker room, sometimes he's got to step away, and and maybe the heat was too much for Hogan to protect him at this point. Yeah, I think the one thing that the only sympathy I had for for Doctor D here was, you know, he 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 was put in a place by Vince to stick up for the company and for pro wrestling in general. Though I'm not exactly sure why, because the story that John Stossel was telling was about real versus fake. And, you know, by 1984, like, is is, is this really a, a major question? I know that they got people from house shows who were like, oh, you know, I've never seen this before. It, it, I hope it's real. Like, the, those were like marks and a half to to talk on that 2020 special but it's an interesting thing because at that time like i i don't i don't know if that was the necessarily the story to tell but he he is basically standing up for this business and 
So literally four months later, Vince has Mr. T in the main event. So Mm -hmm. if you're protecting a business, you would not put Mr. T in the main event of this major show because it's probably, I mean, maybe maybe we just were not smart to it or hip to it because Mr. T is coming off of A-Team and Clubber Lang, but the fact that an actor can just jump into pro wrestling without any sort of... uh, no training, nothing. And he goes toe to toe with your biggest and baddest dudes like that right there sort of exposes the business more than anything that was on, you know, 2020. Yeah, I don't think 2020 wasn't exposed to anything about pro wrestling. Like my dad, I mean, he talked about it when I, you know, when I was younger. He's like, I, you know, as a kid, I knew his faith from the beginning, you know. Oh, yeah. And and when I first saw wrestling, I told my dad hey look at these guys they're fighting in this in this ring this boxing ring i called it and he goes oh yeah it's pro wrestling it's fake (laughs) but i'm like this is cool you know (laughs) and and i I became more interested when i realized it was fake i got i became more interested too realizing it was fake and i also kind of go who's the one that gets to pick the winners and losers and that's when oh yeah my love for pro wrestling the creative side um, really kicked in so um, but yeah I mean when people say like, like a lot of people like make fun of Cornette because he's like so die hard to protect the business he even knows that people didn't believe it was real back then but you don't perform you want to perform to make him suspend his belief you know protect it that way instead of going out there and just being goofy that's that's what he talks about and I think that's what you know Schultz and a lot of the guys back then you know they just want to be disrespected right and then you know a lot of guys would be made fun of and disrespected and that would really piss people off because you know wrestling is yeah it's it's fake and predetermined but it's really hard on their bodies and it's it's physical and and um you know it's, and it's their livelihood so they definitely want to protect as much as they can i thought i thought Cornette was good here he was uh it, just enough of him he is good in these type of scenarios because he does have a history of you know the the shoot aspect of it and and you know when the business died and you know how long ago did people know that it was fake like he he's good in this in this type of episode so i really enjoyed him here and plus we didn't have russo to counter him in any way and so you know it's mostly Cornette and and it's david schultz two great talkers two very entertaining guys and so to me from an entertainment standpoint, I thought this episode was good. As far as learning anything, you're not going to learn anything if you've been following for any sort of amount of time. But uh, I think is is the next week uh, Herb Abrams. Yeah, which I'm really interested to watch because he was a complete nut, right? As all the reports and people talking about him, so I just can't wait to hear more about his his craziness and and it's a, it's wild. It's I mean, they're probably going to talk about a lot of old stories I already heard before, but it'd be fun to hear them again. It'd be fun to watch it with Katrina, too. And we still got to watch the Dino Bravo um, one, too, together. I still, I still have my DVR. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to watch that one with her, too, next. They, the, the Vice has also put up extended cuts of Benoit and Bravo, but I haven't heard what is actually on them. So I haven't gone back to watch because I'm not – yeah, I don't really want to watch them again unless there's something super interesting that tells the story better. But Yeah, but I'm sure if there's something super interesting, that would have been an original, right? That's yeah, it yeah. It's like, it's like sure. deleted scenes on a DVD back in the day, right? Like it was anything important, it would have been in the movie. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. 
Uh, all right, so uh, let's qu- take a quick break to talk about Blue Chew. Tony Schiavone, eat your heart out. Uh, guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. I guess they they get it gets in the bloodstream quicker by being a chewable. That's interesting. I'm uh, guessing that's what it means. Yeah, you can take them any day, uh, any time, or any night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging and here's a great deal for all of you visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code blue wire just pay the five dollars shipping again that's b-l-u-e chew.com promo code blue wire okay before we go wait go ahead what were you gonna say i was gonna say do we get samples That's <laughs> well i think you got to see the online oh, physician sure yeah we don't want to you see we want to take something with it you must talk to the physician before it's using definitely definitely yeah 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 it's like calling the 900 number you gotta ask your parents permission for exactly exactly uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, before we get into kind of your takes on on what you saw that was good or, or bad in wrestling this week. Uh, a couple guys uh, got uh, got the axe uh, and and pun intended uh, with from WWE. Curtis Axel, Kane Velasquez, and Gerald Briscoe all fired this week. I was a big fan of Curtis Axel, especially when I would go to house shows because I really loved. His uh, his house show style. I thought he was a lot of fun to watch. You had written something for the Wrestling Observer. Gosh, it's been like three or four years ago now mm-hmm. on him. And uh, you know they they were never gonna they, they they had a couple of start and stops with him, but they were never gonna really uh, go go the entire way with him. I know that when The Rock would 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 come back or think about coming back, uh, Joe Henning is the one that he would go and train with. And yeah, I'm kind of, I mean, you know, you, you, he would be on a list if you were to kind of guess like, okay, who are they going to, you know, who, who would they let go? Cause they're, they, they just don't use him all that often. Uh, but I uh, still kind of bummed. Um, and uh, for Kane, uh, I was just like, you know, could you have screwed up any more with someone who's actually a, a main eventer and, and a money draw. And then with Briscoe, just kind of sad because, you know, I, I know he's furloughed, but you know he's uh, he he's a, a big part of uh, a lot of the success that they had uh, because of who he was able to scout. So just you know three guys that I was uh, I was kind of bummed uh, about losing their jobs. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I kind of have a feeling Briscoe will be back somehow, somewhere. Yeah, I think so too. When they you know obviously he's furloughed and um, when things get hopefully normal next year by next year hopefully. I keep saying next year because I don't. I'm not. You know, oh yeah, in six months. You know, in three months we'll be back. But um, you know, I think when they start recruiting again and stuff, they're gonna, he's gonna be the guy they call, right? He's gonna be there anyways, recruiting amateur wrestlers. You know, just watching the shows or watching the events. So I'm sure he'll be back in the fold. Kane was a little bit surprising. I thought they would just hold on to him until you know 
they can use him again. I, you know, of course, the booking of him was just wild. Um, just because, like, if he was injured going into that match with, with Brock in Saudi Arabia, like, you know, they could have done something else. They could have injured him to an injury angle or something. I don't know. They could have done anything, anything else than then have that quick match, you know, between them. Uh, but it just it was that was that was one of the weirdest things in for us. That's going to be looked back for a long time. We'll look go circle back at that one and be like, what the heck is going on there? Curtis Axel, Joe Hennig. Um, I always liked him. Big big fan of his work. Uh, I thought he was really talented. You know, WWE has a weird. They're really weird with nostalgia, and sometimes they, they'll capitalize on some things, and some things they just they want to push under the rug. And like like from the get go, like you know, calling him under his maiden name, his wife's, his mother's maiden name, McGillicuddy, Michael McGillicuddy mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of Joe Hennig. I mean, like, like take advantage of like his name and his father and that history. And I know you're probably saying, "Well, what's the guy stand on his own?" And but like you know, he, he's not. He wasn't David Flair, right? He was. He was talented, and um, um, I, I wrote a yeah, I did a piece about uh, him for the Wrestling Observer, and I kind of retweeted it out after all this this news today. And you know, about that was back in 2016, and you know, I just had a it was a I was kind of booking a scenario for him, so it was a lot of fun to write that article, and he actually liked it a lot, so I remember that, so that was cool. So um, all the best to all three, and I mean, I'm sure Kane's fine, right? And he'll do fine. He'll he'll end up fighting somewhere. I'm guessing. Back at UFC eventually, I'm guessing maybe or or Bellator, but yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine. I mean, he'll do some AAA stuff. Okay, to let me know if you if you heard this and if you heard it and you you don't want to say anything, then you you can you can deny. But I had heard that there was a little bit of frustration with him because he had posted a photo of himself and Ronda Rousey. I think it was at Titan Towers and they didn't really want people to know that Rhonda was kind of still talking to them, you know, because they want to they want to bring her back in their own way. And I heard that people were frustrated with him for doing that and putting that on Twitter. Um, I haven't heard that story, but yeah, I mean, I can see people be upset about that. Like, you know, that's something they want to definitely keep under wraps is Rhonda's, you know, return if her eventual return. So yeah, I can see them being upset with him. Some people being pissed off about that, but, uh, but it's funny that Kane is the one that gets the heat off of that and not Rhonda. No, because, well, I mean, I like Kane a lot, local boy, every room, but when it comes to money, who you're not going to get rid of the money, right? Oh yeah. So, and, no. Kane, and Kane, unfortunately is not money when it came to come to WWE. He can't cut a promo. Um, he could do some athletic stuff in the ring, but, I you know I don't know I, I I don't know if I really saw a long term for him I think he's he's good for a couple of matches and unfortunately you know after the way they booked him they must have said forget it and just cut our losses the big contract now I'm, I'm sure that man he's, his money's probably guaranteed right I'm sure like he's still uh, getting uh, a certain balance of his contract I'm guessing he's still getting a good amount of money off I mean that. he's getting he would get his downside at least right yeah or do yeah. they or does that even like can they just cut you and just be done with you? I don't. I don't know how those contract works. But I would think he would have a different contract than like a standard pro wrestling contract, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't, I don't know. He's he didn't seem to be super business savvy to me when he allowed himself to just get massacred by Brock Lesnar at that Saudi show. Yeah, that was dumb. I'm not, <laughs> I'd love to be in that meeting. 
Yeah, who's how they work that around him, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll get killed. But he had, like a, he had a leg injury going into that match, so he was already hurt going in. And he couldn't do much at all, so. Uh, yeah, so um, let's uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that you saw in wrestling. I, I will preface this by saying I am not watching Raw. I do not plan to watch Raw. I am sticking to the Wednesday night stuff. I watch both shows. Didn't watch them, you know, with like like they're the the Zapruder films or anything. But I did catch both Raw. I mean, both uh, NXT and AEW. I watched uh, actually watched Raw. Um, everything till the contract signing. I was just, uh, but I liked what I saw. I mean, I thought the the matches were good, and some of the, some of the booking is really simple. It's really easy to follow. Um, I didn't like the three way stuff with Oscar, Shayna, and Nia. I thought that was was stupid. But um, the the stuff I liked on Raw was the stuff with Selena Vega. They had a nice, you know, um, six man tag with Andrade and uh, 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 what's his name? Gosh, uh, Austin Theory and um, Angel Garza against um, against Apollo Cruz and. Who were the other two guys? He's Ray Mysterio and God, what the heck, man? It's it's just now it's gonna really bug me. You got me. Oh, Alistair Black, Alistair Black, Alistair Black. Gosh, jeez. And it was a really good six man tag. And then it got followed up. They followed that up with a Apollo Cruz because he pins Andrade, which I'm like, oh cool, that's gonna set up a future United States title shot. But it set up that show like, and they went right into it uh, like a few segments later. And they had a really good match. They did a match, and they did an injury angle with him. So he's out of the match now. He's out of the Money in the Bank, which is kind of a bummer. But at the same time, they're going to be using him, you know, chase Andrade. So that's cool. Like he's still in the mix of something. And I always liked Apollo Cruz. So I'm glad that you know Heyman for Raw found something for him. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I thought that the whole show was 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 an easy. It was actually an easy watch. And granted, I'm. I'm Taking my time watching it now at home during the day on a Tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. while I'm working, you know, kayfabe. <laughs> uh, okay, so I will preface by saying, uh, in, in what I saw, obviously I'm, I'm watching the one hour version of NXT, but my thought is Drake Maverick as the underdog who's about to lose his job is actually a compelling character, but from what I understand, he's still gonna lose his job like I, and it just it just made me a little frustrated as you know just saying they can't that they they can't get him over when he's employed by them but they can use a real life storyline where he's actually not going to be working for them and then he can get over like i was more invested in him in this show on nxt than i probably have been in his entire wwf or wwe run well, you know, sometimes a real life story kind of just falls in your lap and you go with it. Like that promo he did after being released, you know, you know, hit a chord a lot of people and you know, you know, WWE's taking advantage of it. So, um, who knows? He might be already hired back. We don't know. We don't know yet, but uh they're not going to come out that news now because it would ruin their angle, right? So, their storyline. So, I you know, I I'm I'm, I'm kind of But I, my, but I guess my question is why does it have to take for him to be fired in order for them to give him something interesting to do? Just the way it worked out. I don't know. I, I, you're right. It's just kind of weird. But at the same time, like some guys, they work there, they go somewhere else, they come back, look at Drew McIntyre, right? They didn't do anything with him for the longest time. He was a joke. 
he goes back on the indies. He builds himself back up. He, you know, he you know puts muscle on. He makes himself a main eventer on the indie scenes. He gets some heat behind him, and now look at him now. Now he's WWE champion. So it's just sometimes you know there's so much going on. You can't give everyone attention, and some guys kind of slip through their cracks. And here's something hit a chord with the promo with the fans, and they say, hey, we can use this because he's still going to be used in this tournament. So let's just make a story out of it. So. Um, I'm, I'm digging it. I liked it. I liked the match. They had a good match, actually. I thought Tony Nese was good, really good in that match, You know, being really physical with Drake Maverick. Um, I thought Drake was good. So, yeah, I, li- I like that. I like that. I like NXT overall. I thought that was pretty good. The only thing I didn't like on NXT was the uh, Riddle Thatcher segment. Like see, the that's, they didn't show that on Hulu. I, I was hoping they showed it. I'm shocked, I wanted to I'm see. I wanted to see you know the wackiness, but I, I didn't see it. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't like that part of it. The beatdown of uh, by Imperium on them was really good. Like so, it kind of helped out a little bit because at least it led into something of importance. Um, but I don't know. I just is I don't like seeing Thatcher in those kind of segments, even though he was, he you know he's playing the straight guy. That's like, what is this BS that you have me going through, Riddle? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's like something fun there. There's a but at the same time, I just just uh. I wasn't really digging it, but the beatdown was 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 really good, really physical, and and, and uh, I mean that was awesome. That was that, that saved it for sure. So I I, I want to talk about Charlotte, and then I, I also want you to talk about the main event of the show, the Charlotte against Mia Yim match. The thing that I I kind of it's probably not necessarily an epiphany. I'm sure other people have come to this this thought before. We've always heard that part of the reason why Vince was so enamored with superstar Billy Graham or, you know, why he wanted Hogan to be his guy, which, you know, that's probably, you know, that was obviously the best move when, when, uh, he expanded because he sort of saw like, if he, if he was a wrestler, that's the kind of guy he would have wanted to be was, was, you know, the, these bigger than larger than life guys who could talk. And I'm watching Charlotte in this match and I'm thinking like, wow, if Stephanie McMahon was a pro wrestler instead of the brand officer, uh, she would probably want to be Charlotte. Like that would be who she would try to be is somebody like Charlotte. Because, you know, on a show, and I, I'm going to complain about this until we get fans back, but on a show where I, I, I feel like this stuff doesn't really count to two people stood out to me on NXT and one of them was Charlotte. The other one we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. It was Keith Lee, but I thought she was really good in this match because she's so vocal. She's talking down her opponent and every, every part of her being vocal actually helps the match because otherwise it's, it's sort of silent and you're just watching the work but I just I really enjoy her more than most in these empty arena settings. I think she sort of figured out how to how to do it. Whereas you know there are some people who I think can actually have pretty darn good matches. But just from the uh, standpoint of how do I entertain at the same time while I'm having a wrestling match, I think Charlotte is doing a really good job with these matches. Yeah, this match was really good. This is definitely Mia Yim's best match she's had. Uh, probably of her career, honestly. I, I, 
I thought she looked really good here. And that was because she was with Charlotte. Charlotte was fantastic in this match. Ed in San Antonio is going to talk about the time where he saw her wrestle, you know, on <laughs> Shimmer. <laughs> Some bullshit. Some bullshit card. Uh, but no, she was, this is definitely her best performance. And Love Ed, uh, by the way. Yeah, me too. Not and, uh, anyway. No, me neither. And uh, no, she uh, she was great, and she stepped up and had a best performance. And she worked with Charlotte, and Charlotte was great. Charlotte's, you know, if not the best woman in the roster, and she proved it here. And um, they got a little messy towards the end, and I thought the finish came off came came off a little bit better. But other than that, I thought the match was really this was a, a really big surprise for me because you know Mia sometimes. Most of the times, I'm just not really impressed with her in the ring. But this time around, like she showed some fire. Her heat was much better. Um, she stepped up to the plate, so that was uh, that was really cool to see, and that definitely one of the highlights of the of the night. All right, what about the main event? Uh, the main event was really good. I, I thought the finish could have been a little better with uh, maybe a ref bump or something um, to distract, uh, be, take the ref out of a situation where. You know, Priest is about to use that um, that nice stick he had. I thought that would have been a little better touch. That was a little frustrating, but uh, um, but other than that, I thought the match was good. I, thought, I like I like I like Priest a lot. I think he has something cool about him. I love his promos. I love his voice. Um, he just looks like something. And Keith Lee, same way. Like I think he's just something special. Uh, he's, you get definitely can root behind him. Get get behind him and. And they had a good big man match, and it was uh, really well done. Uh, anything else on NXT that stood out to you? Uh, Candice LeRae's heel work uh, as her first match as a heel, I thought was really good. I like that little that little match with Casey Catanzaro. I thought that was that was uh, really good as well. So that was uh, I was I'm digging the Garganos. <laughs> I'm really digging them as as a as a group, and that's uh, definitely interesting. I I thought. NXT did a great job building towards next week. You know, they're they're teasing or that you know was a Karen is a Karen Cross right or your killer? What was his new name? Caden. Caden Cross. Caden Cross. Yeah, I think it's Caden Cross. Is going to be uh, you know debuting next week with you know with Scarlet. I, I would have just called Cross. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I don't know, but um, but he seems like a really interesting character. Like I love the build up of him. So, you know. NXT's doing really well. They're really they're kicking on all cylinders. It was, it was a good show. It was it's good by so fast for me. And you know, so so our buddy Paul Fontaine posted something on Facebook earlier today, which was basically that from a wrestling show, NXT was better than AEW, but for a wacky, entertaining show, he liked AEW better. And I think for the most part, I would agree, but. It is just the, it's just my taste in how they actually do the empty arena stuff and how they're not taking this whole time frame super seriously, like with the bubbly bunch and stuff. But NXT is clearly the better actual in-ring show right now. So and that's what it needs the- to be their focus is just making sure that, you know, the, the angles aren't super crazy. Uh, they're not bombastic. They're just sort of straightforward and... In the ring, the matches are generally pretty good. It's clearly the best pro wrestling show of the night. And, and AEW, I was just 
I wanted to beat my head against the wall in the bloody pulp. I was just like what I was watching for most of that show. Even though the main event was going so good and the finish was driving me insane. Um, but uh, yeah, not much to like on AEW for me personally. Um, I was disappointed with the majority of it, if not if not all of it. And I was really liking the Dustin Rhodes and, and Lance Archer match main event until the finish. I thought was was ridiculous. The uh, the the Moxley promo I thought was really good because it just felt uh, it felt. I, I, I real real is a, is a hard word, not the right word, but it just felt a little bit more genuine than what you see in a normal uh, wrestling promo. He uh, he he was not, you know, doing any sort of pro wrestling speak uh, that that we're sort of used to with promos. The um, the thing that I did dislike, and I'm actually interested to hear your thought on this, was in the opener with uh, with. Cody and Darby. I like the idea that Co- Cody outsmarts the young kid to beat him again. What I don't like is Darby thinking he's actually the one pinning Cody when his shoulders are on the mat and then he looks like a dumbass. Stupid. Completely stupid. That match sucked. That I'll tell you straight up, that match sucked. Big time. Um, really poorly done. A lot of it didn't even make sense. Um, the whole stuff with Brandy was was ridiculous. Why would 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 I move out of the way if I knew someone was running up against uh, to attack me? Move out of the way and not move my wife out of the way at the same time? Hell no! That was ridiculous. And then before that, it was going it, right in the first few minutes. It was going good. I was digging it, really digging it. Um, Cody did a nip up and like oh, Matt started selling his knee, right? And I was like, oh, man, what a great sell in that knee. What a great sell in that knee. And then Darby's working on it. Darby's working on it. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Guess what? All of a sudden, Cody forgot to sell it. He's fine. He's running around. Then we had the, the wife spot with Brandy. And I was like, oh, God. And then Brandy coming back, hold, like doing the worst sell job in history of holding her stomach. Like, like it just... It was like it was really bad, and then she had the water bottle being used on Darby. It just didn't make it. Just didn't. It felt so out of place for this match. It shouldn't have been that kind of match. It should have been the veteran versus young guy Bayface match. And the finish was ridiculous. Like, like he should have Darby. You know he has that leg lock, right? That um, that Ricky Gibson leg lock. That should have been the where he got kind of caught. Like he went for it, got cradled or something like that. Like out of the blue, not like. His finisher, he hits it, and then, then Cody kind of rolls him. And like, right, like, like Darby did nothing to struggle to get out of that pin, pin situation. You would think he would, right? I would, I would have even been fine with at the one and a half count. He realizes that he's not in. He's not the one that is pinning. He's actually being pinned, and then he starts to struggle and fight. But Cody just cinches on a little bit tighter and Darby gets pinned and then he's super frustrated that he got outsmarted. But the way that they did it, I was just like, man, you are a dumb ass. But here's what's stupid as well. Like, he he hits his finisher on Cody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That ends, so supposed to be your move that's going to end it for for everyone, right? So how is Cody okay to roll 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 him back for a pin? Just stupid. That was just... It says you're killing a guy's finish. He already killed, you know, Cody already letting another guy kick out of his crossroads, which I thought was ridiculous. 
and circle back, the spot with uh, Britt Baker in the shoe made no sense. It was out of place. Nothing happened to Britt Baker. No, you know, there's like, come on. I know Cody is quote unquote hurt. He's selling, but when he gets hit by a shoe from a girl, come on, man. You want to just bow up on her and like look at her, you know? So, and maybe Darby can hit her from behind, but then you, can, you don't want to do that either because then Darby would be a heel, right? Take attacking her from behind, just totally out of place. This match was a complete mess. And I see people online were just loving it. And I'm like, what the hell are these people watching? Because to me, it was a mess. It was uh, it was overbooked, overthought, and like I said, a mess. Uh, so main event was, was, was fine. I, 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 I didn't mind it, you know, uh, unless you feel that, uh, Lance Archer as this new character, uh, was not winning impressively enough, but I think we've already established that Dustin can go with the best of them and he is probably going to lose at the end, but he's always going to be that fighting old school uh, baby face. So I, 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 I liked the match. I didn't, I, I wouldn't say that I loved it, uh, but overall the show, you know, the, the pay, I like the pacing. I like the, uh, you know, where, where Jericho on commentary, um, he, he is, he is just entertaining. I think he mm-hmm. just understands what the time is and how, his goal is to, you know, is to just be entertaining for the people watching, knowing that this is a tough time. And so he's just going over the top as, as much as possible. And then, you know, when he has to be pro wrestler, you know, cause obviously he's not the champ right now, so he doesn't have to be uh, a, a top guy or he doesn't have to be the, the, the guy with the belt, but he is, uh, you know, he's kind of carrying the, just the, just the, you know, sort of minute by minute of this show. And without his voice, I think the show would probably be really bad, but I enjoy his voice and the bubbly bunch for as dumb as that segment usually is. I cannot turn away from watching because I just want to see what happens next. And it's really the, the Howard Stern corollary, which is back in the day, the the um the ratings for Howard Stern he was more popular in people who didn't like him than he was in people who did like him because they just wanted to hear the next thing about the most out the next outlandish thing that he was going to say and so I sort of feel the same way when I watch the Bubbly Bunch because I'm just like this is so ridiculous this is so dumb I just want to see what happens next. And, you know, this was like a, every person who's ever been on a Chris Jericho podcast did a cameo in this thing from Lou Ferrigno to Jay and Silent Bob to the fluffy guy who I don't know if the fluffy guy is going to be getting free WWF tickets anytime soon being on this show. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, goofy, dumb. But I just was like, oh, I need to watch this because this this is the kind of thing that cracks me up. Yeah, just like I was frustrated with the Thatcher Riddle stuff, I was frustrated with this segment as well. And then they fall in the Bowie Bunch thing. I just, I just, I just, it's not my thing. I don't get it. It's, it's just, I don't think they should be shown like that. I think they're the top heel group, and they should be a little more badass. I mean, this is, you know, they still have a show to run. This is not, you know, I know they're. It's not be light at this time. It's like they're still doing a show. Let's do a show. And then I didn't like. Uh, oh my god! Did you watch that three way? Uh, the the sixth. Uh, whatever. The, what the hell? That no. The tag match. The hardcore tag match. Did you watch this? 
So I I wrote uh, in our group. I said, usually when I'm watching AEW, at least for the first hour, I'm working because it's sort of the end of my work day, mm-hmm. and I gauge my interest on how often I kind of look back from my computer. And so, you know, for the Cody and Darby thing, you know, I, I'm not super paying attention until I know when the finish is coming and then I'm going to focus in on, on what happens. But I wrote that uh, give uh, in any Jimmy Havoc match just means I'm not turning away from working. I'm just going to work straight through it. Wow, you're still smarter than me. I watch this <laughs> shit. Um, this match was so bad. This is how stupid these guys are. This is how dumb. Like, I don't know. They had they no, no one gave them direction. No one gave them the rules. But the rules were, and Jericho and Shavani were talking about this, anything goes, and guess what happens? Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc tag. The referee laughs at them. Like, there's no tags, guys. You know, Paul Turner, the referee's like, oh, there's no tags. And then, like, they don't even pay attention because they're just doing their thing, right? Guess what? Guess what happens after that? They tag again. Like, oh, I was like, this match is so bad. These guys are so bad. What the hell? How does this make tape? You know, like, ah, oh, man, so, so freaking frustrating. So freaking frustrating. So, so finally. So you heard the story, though, of why Brandy is wearing different clothing. Yes, I know. I know. I, I know. I, I know they, 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 they broke me on different shows, and now they're, now they put it together on this show. I was, I was cracking up because I was wondering if them putting together five tape shows or whatever was actually harder than producing live TV because now, you know, you're, you you have to plan so much in advance and then you have to jigsaw puzzle these shows together. And I was kind of wondering if they were going to slip up and not and on this last one that, that they that they put out, they slipped up. But if it was me, I would say, okay, we have to, we have to tape five shows. I would write five hours of TV and film it each hour, you know, as a show. Not like, We'll just film this match and we'll plug it maybe here. You know, no one played this match and play it here. Because no one's driving me nuts the whole thing. Because I, I don't sit there and just watch just the match. I watch everything. I watch the referee. I watch what the commentary saying. I watch the fans at ringside. And the quote-unquote fans at ringside were changing all the time. Because it was different fans. Like, you had Cody Vance who's going to be the new uh, muscled uh, Dark Order guy. He's out in there. He's out in the... the audience somehow in the middle of the show but he wasn't there before um sean spears has a match later tonight but he's in the front row like you don't want to sh- he's a wrestling show why would you show him in the front row right um brit baker has a vignettes vtr thing that was a lot of fun but she's at ringside hitting cody rhodes with a with a shoe right it's just that stuff was just driving me insane too as well and uh but like i said i was the main event started. I like Lance Archer a lot. I like Dustin Rhodes a lot. I mean, you know, I've been a fan of him for a very long time. And the match was going really good. I love the pace. And I was like, man, these people are getting education how to work a long match, uh, how to how to you know not to go a mile a minute, uh, take your time, sell, let things breathe. Like you know, I really got into it. And then the finish was ridiculous because Lance Archer takes. The turnbuckle pad, the top turnbuckle pad, he rips it off and starts slamming Dustin Rhodes' head into the the, the the exposed steel. That is a disqualification. And ref Aubrey, ref Aubrey, the great referee Aubrey, the legend now, um, is just sitting there going, oh, 
I guess like why is it not a disqualification? They, they just they, they overthought this big time. I think they could have done something different. Um, you know, it would be best to keep this on separate shows and best not to have Cody come out. Um, maybe Cody they could have said Cody wasn't there that week, right? And then had you know Dustin lay out, um, lay out, lay out, uh, Archer lay out Dustin in the match, like bloody him to pulp. And then now you at the pay per view. Now you have Dustin, I mean, Cody now, not only want to win the championship, which I think is funny, the TNT championship is being decided on a pay-per-view, not on TNT. Does that seem weird to you? I think it seems kind of weird. You know, why, why, it's just, uh, it was just, uh, it was just frustrating, really frustrating. That finish frustrated the hell of me, but I was liking the match, I was digging it. All right, so, um... Let's get to our very last segment, which is our rewatch of the Clash of the Champions 18, which is from uh, January of 1992. So I did, I, I, I dug back, I did a little bit of research about what's going on uh, around this time frame. So the previous pay per view was Battle Bowl, which was the first Battle Bowl that they ever did. Uh, from from a buy rate standpoint, uh, disappointing. But pay per view buy rates are decreasing in both companies around this time. For for what WWF actually expected, the Flair Royal Rumble was also slightly disappointing from a buy rate perspective. Mm. So this show is two days after the Royal Rumble. Uh, Lex Luger is not on this show. And he did not work in the month of January except for the Tokyo Dome show where he had his match against Chono. That's the only match he had in the entire month of January. So he's uh, clearly on his way out in Super Brawl. Well, I think his dates ran out. So, yeah, so they're, they, they, they overused him for sure. Mm-hmm. So his, his dates ran out. Um, but you can always pay the guy <laughs> you know yeah. you're you're trying to get sting over as uh this uh you know this new champion and, well, and uh, he, but whatever he probably won that gym time and he's bulking up for the wbf well, you know that that the, uh, that's probably part of the reason why he was like i'm fine leaving like i have a i have enough money and i'm trying to open up some gyms and you know, I want to look. Uh, I want to just lift weights, man. I just want to get jacked. So it was so frustrating for me at this time period because I was, you know, huge Luger fan. That they replayed this damn Clash promo every week leading up to Super Bowl. I don't think he did a new promo. It was like the same one from Clash. And I was just like, so fr- I'm like, is he ever gonna say have a new interview? Like, what's going on here? I, as a kid, I was just so frustrated. Uh, where, where he said he was in severe shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is... Why the... Was this his best take? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think what, 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 about, what about the old WCW background from this time? It was the yeah, same yeah, yeah. background every time. I, I, I think Luger was already looking at New York and, you know, wanting to get through this next two months. Okay, so Super Brawl is is Lex's last match for WCW at this point. So Jim Hurd is fired and is replaced by Kip Fry, who we see on this show as K. Allen Fry. He comes out on this show. Uh, Jesse the Body Ventura is in, so he's actually in the company, but he was originally only signed for 
the uh, the Super Brawl show. And, um, you know, the idea was he, you know, they, they, they do they, they will figure out something a little bit long term for him. But, you know, he was really only signed for that Super Brawl show. So he comes in, he does the um, he does the last match on this clash. And I think he may have done like some promo stuff for Super Brawl. But other than that, it was just that Super Brawl show. And we know that he does stay on. But uh, but at this point in time, he's only signed for for just this show. And then uh, there's a there's a negotiation with Bret Hart for WCW. Uh, They think they actually have Bret Hart and they were going to debut him on this show where he'd come out with the Intercontinental Championship. That was actually the idea. Uh, so it doesn't happen. Obviously, he loses the the title, uh, the Intercontinental title to the Mountie on a house show, which was su- supposed to happen because they were setting up Roddy Piper uh, and Bret Hart at at the at the WrestleMania. So they had to get the the, the title on Piper. Bret was going to lose and then uh, win at WrestleMania. And the reason why Bret eventually just decided that you know he could not go to wcw is because his contract rolled over and he actually had more time on his contract than he originally thought and so uh you know it was pretty clear where they were going with him storyline wise so made a lot of sense for him to stick it out with uh with wwf at this time but that's kind of where we are with this show. This show is really memorable to me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there's a moment in the Sting and Ricky Steamboat match uh, against Rick Rude and Steve Austin where Ricky Steamboat is mimicking Rick Rude's thing where he would stand over the guy and he would gyrate his hips and put his arms behind his head. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's mimicking of Rick Rude doing this was to pretend he was surfing over the guy's body. And when I was a kid watching this live, I died laughing. It was like, what the hell is this dude doing? Come on, Dragon. This is your best sexy gyration move to mimic Rick Rude is to pretend you're surfing. And so I will always remember this show for that moment, but there was a lot of stuff going on on this show, Clash 18. Yeah, maybe by, you know, by the dance moves, sometimes you can tell who, how someone's good in bed, so maybe, uh, maybe Rick Steamboat's not the, the good oh. worker in the wrestling ring, but when it comes oh, to the, uh, the squared uh, mattress, <laughs> he's or, lacking, lacking that department. Well, uh, you know, he and Bonnie don't, don't necessarily end well. You know, no. I, actually, at this point, they may, they may not be, be doing too well. I don't, I maybe she saw that and that was it. She was like, oh, man, <laughs> God, this is it. He, um, you know, it's funny, like, I, you know, I, 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 I saw on the Facebook group that we we're going to do this live watch. I really wanted to join, but, like, 5 o'clock, three kids up and about, like, it would have been the Chloe show taking over the Zoom. Like, I couldn't have that. So it was just been, <laughs> it was just been and it's just been, it was just been a while. So I, I really wanted to tune in with you guys. But I was like, when I remember I saw the list, I'm like, why is this Clash 18? I'm like, which one was that? And I realized, like, of all the clashes, this one made it. Was it, is this the one? Is it because they want to see the gyration again of Rick Steamboat? No. So the reason why this one got picked is because we were trying to find 
one that was on YouTube or Daily Motion or Vimeo because not everybody has the network. A lot of people uh, canceled their network. So we wanted to find one that was available like on a free thing. So this ah. was just out there on Daily Motion. And so, but the, but the reason why it won and it became the one that we picked is because uh, the, um, the original uh, Crockett Cup 88 was a uh, a videotape version. Is it 88? 87. 87. 87. I thought it was 88. I thought it was the Flare Sting one. Uh, no, Flare Sting. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Luger Sting. I thought it was the Luger Sting one. Oh, I thought it was 87. I thought that list. But anyways. But yeah. Well, what, it commercial tape. But, but it was the commercial version, which was just highlights of the Crockett Cup, plus like three Magnum TA matches. Yeah. So so when we figured out that that's what it was, we're like, okay, we're disqualifying that one, and then we did a revote, and then the Clash eighteen won the revote. Yeah, because I was saying Clash seventeen was like way better. <laughs> that's what I would have picked. I mean, if it runs time frame, but yeah, but, so, um, but go on. We we let's talk about the show. Okay, so uh, the this show is very mem- like I said, it's very memorable. I remembered almost everything, and it's probably the first time I've watched this show in now what are you know what is it uh 20 years or something or or 18 18 18 years no 20 yeah uh no 28 years is that how long this show was ago definitely so holy cow that's that's nuts but uh, there were so many memorable things i remember like you know when missy goes into the into the water like i was like oh i remember this thing because of her high-pitched screaming um, but, uh, so, okay. So the, actually, you know what the thing that I didn't really remember about the show, and I wonder if it's possible that I came home late is I don't remember this opener that well. And the opener was really good. Yeah. Rick and Scott against Vader and Hughes. And I think the thing that stands out the most in this, in this match is Vader and Hughes are taking these belly to belly suplexes they're taking these you know at least mr hughes is taking these high backdrops these guys are going up and like i'm just like feeling like terrible for vader and hughes just getting thrown around because they're so big these guys are big dudes and they're just getting tossed by the steiners but the the match in of itself was was very entertaining and the other thing that i thought was you know, I've never really been a huge fan of Mr. Hughes. And, you know, we talked about him when we were going over the Raw 93 stuff. He was pretty darn good in this match. And he was able to go with all these four guys. Yeah, he's good. He's he's pretty underrated. And he he was uh, a big man that can move. And, you know, they used to call him a big cat because he, like I said, because of size and how fast he can move with that weight. Um, that backdrop. Oh, my God. That was awesome. That was the highlight of the match. Um, this match is great. Um like I said, I don't have that many fond memories of this show, um, but I, I do remember this match very well because it was the best match on the show, in my opinion. And uh, you know, they're you know they're building the Steiners up, and you know, uh, Vader and Hughes really went on a way to make them look good. And it's just funny because Vader hears, you know, he's just a few months away where they're going to start changing the course on him and push him to being the top heel against Sting, you know? So it's funny here as an opener getting tossed around by the Steiner brothers. Mm-hmm. He'll be challenged for the titles in a few months. Uh, Brian Pillman and Marcus Alexander Bagwell against Terry Taylor and Tracy Smothers was the next match. 
I think the thing that stood out here is uh, Pillman is, you know, that this is right when they're really pushing the light heavyweight championship. Pillman had just lost to Jushin Liger, and they're going to set up the rematch at uh, Super Brawl. But Pillman is like, he he's firing up and the crowd is so into him he's doing you know lots of uh, lots of uh, moves that today we would consider you know pretty normal from uh from you know the the lucha style guys but he's do, you know he's doing a like a hurricane rana and it's almost like terry taylor was like what what how do i take this like he didn't actually take it very well uh I, I don't know i don't know how many of those kinds of moves these guys were taking back then but it was they were definitely there was a sort of a, a new style uh, of wrestling that they were pushing, which is these lightweight guys. Yeah, this, this match was really good too. Um, like I said, I, this is one of the shows I really didn't go back and watch often, but, so I haven't seen this match in a very long time, and it really, really stood out to me uh, being uh, very good. So I, I liked everyone. I thought all four men worked really good in this match. I think everyone played a role really well. I mean, we know Bagwell at this point is is the young guy. He's the the match is actually set up for him to to look great. I think I there were a couple of spots that I thought were a little bit rough. Um, he he is like it like like his fire wasn't great, and and the I finish mean, the finish was the finish was what it was, uh, which was I think it was what sunset flip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and you know, but you can see you can see that he actually is is going to be pretty talented. But they I mean they definitely were were looking to shine him up on this match. I just, I just thought there was a couple of things where he was like maybe a little hesitant and and not not in as smooth as all the other guys. But of course, he's he's the young guy in this match. Yeah, he's green, and this is his first big national TV match on live TV, so I'm sure nerves are running wild. But yeah, no, he was... Uh, he, I always liked Bagwell. I thought Bagwell was extremely talented. And, you know, early on when he came to WCW, he got a strong push. They were building him up, and then I think Watts kind of cooled him off a little bit uh, in the, the middle of 92. But then he ended up getting... Uh, Getting his groove back, I think once uh, once Watts left and uh, had a memorable uh, ninety three. So um, I, yeah, yeah, and this match is good. Terry Taylor's awesome. Um, I mean, I've been loving his stuff in UWF nineteen eighty seven. Even though that site got pulled, I'm pretty pissed about that. So, but uh, but you know, Terry Taylor was just fantastic here. And Tracy Mother's great too. So this is a fun match. Mother's uh, as a heel. He, he yeah. was not a baby face in this match. And it's funny because this was supposed to be a six man tag and. I forget who was out. Who was out? I think maybe Steve Armstrong was hurt or something like that. So it got changed to a tag match, which I thought was pretty funny. And I don't know if he caught it, but during the promo with Brian Pillman and Johnny B. Bad with Eric Bischoff, he meant Eric Bischoff congratulates him on winning a six man tag team match. Which <laughs> well, well, the the other Eric Bischoff kind of faux pas on this show is. He goes uh, so so you know when the, when the show starts. You know, this is classic WCW at this time. The sound like is off when when Jim Ross starts talking. It's like, yep, perfect WCW production issues. You know, this is partially why 
WWE was always the the kind of the the class the the classy organization for the for the um, the mainstream fans because they didn't really have these production gaffes. But but Ross comes out, you can't hear him, and I'm like, yep, that's the WCW I remember. But I want to know what the people in behind him were doing, trying to take stuff off the ring because they're like moving like madmen trying to get stuff. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, taking off some kind of a. Uh, 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 adversement. I don't know what they were doing on the ring. It was just like they were like you see guys like like going like crazy like hurry up get this done blah 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 in the background it was awesome. Uh, but uh, Eric Bischoff calls this show the Clash of Champions rather than Clash of the Champions. He says it like two or three times. Um, okay, so uh, so Ricky, so you know next are two of the. Uh, Two two pretty bad matches actually. Johnny B. Bad and uh, Richard Morton. Even though he looked just like Ricky Morton, there was no you know there was no Richard Morton version that we would have seen. Uh, I think it would have been in ninety one. Um, but uh, Johnny, like the whole thing is these are both light heavyweights. Johnny B. Bad is just under the light heavyweight. Uh, what was it two thirty five? Was that the limit yeah. of light heavyweights? So he's the bigger guy. And they go into a finish, and Morton does a, a running cross body block, and Johnny B. Bad rolls through uh, for the pin. And the reason why the announcers say that he got the pin is because he was just the stronger and heavier guy, even though it was just like some, like there was no strength involved in him. With, like this match was just not that good. Yeah, it was okay. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't. It's just too short, and and I it just it's just a little get over match for Johnny Bad. I wish the finish would have been more decisive, but you know, probably protecting the veteran hair, you know. And then and then you know, Bad was out of position with the crossbody. He was too far, close. He was too close to the rope. Should have been a little more in the middle. So when they rolled over, his because his feet hit the the bottom rope. Yeah, so he had to take his feet off the rope because he's like baby phase. He can't be winning with his feet on the rope. So they got a little clunky, definitely at the end. So I definitely remember this interview, which you were talking about with Pillman and Johnny B. Bad, because Pillman was saying some heelish things. He was he was talking about the Japanese taking over, and it was just like that movie that we had talked about a couple weeks ago, Gung Ho with Michael <laughs> Keaton, just like really bad taste kind of stuff that you would not normally see. And he's not he's just not good at it. Like he was just not believable in being this you know sort of dickish guy like you could tell he and maybe he did believe in it but it didn't sound like he believed in what he was saying and as a way to because jushin ligers who he's going to face and jushin ligers japanese so he's got to kind of find a way to to diss japanese people and um and then johnny bad just keeps messing with him and he's like he's like putting little you know lip stickers on him and then pillman can finally take it no more and slaps the hell out of johnny b bad which that slap looked pretty stiff to me (laughs) yeah yeah it was just out of character for him um it came out of nowhere i remember thinking oh my god he's gonna go bad and he never does right yeah um i just really poor poor foresight by the bookers of the time um, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger is not a 1970s Japanese heel, right? He's a high-flying mass sensation. He's not Kengo Nagasaki or uh, uh, P- Professor Tortonaka or Mr. Fuji kind of type of heel. Like, 
So, I mean, it should have just been simply a promo by Brian Pillman without Johnny B. Bad there, just talking about, you know, wanting to regain the championship, maybe talking about how he has an opportunity again at Super Brawl 92 and looking forward about getting his chance to regain the title. It should have been just straightforward. This is, this is ridiculous. So then is uh, PN News and DDP, and this match kind of stood out as uh, more filler than anything else. It was short. Uh, it was only three minutes. Uh, DDP's working pretty hard, but PN News is is just this version of of uh, of. It was just a, you know it's not it's not super interesting. He's he's a rapping babyface who can't really rap and. Uh, you know, though, you know, it is it was funny to watch when he goes to the top rope to do his splash and, and the music plays as he's uh, on the top rope. That made me laugh because I forgot that that with that that was going to happen until right when he went to the top rope. And I was like, oh, wait, the music is going to play. And it did. So I, I kind of cracked yeah. up. But yeah, I mean, this this wasn't uh, this this wasn't really good and it wasn't necessarily even needed for this show. It wasn't needed, but it, was, it wasn't bad. It was a quick little match. You know, DDP still very green. Uh, PN News, he does some really cool stuff, though, for a man his size. Like, he's, he has a good athletic ability for, you know, he gets he up has, for a nice drop kick. He has negative charisma as PN News, though. Well, yeah, it's a totally not his gimmick. Like it's so they bad. Just, they should just made him avalanche new like he was. He should have came in. He could have been a baby face. That's fine. And he could be a bay face that's just, you know, he's just a good, you know, big moving big man. Like, I, I think as a bay face, he's fine. But when you have to do the yo, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, and he's not a comfortable rap, I don't think he really listens to rap. It doesn't seem like he does. Like, it just didn't fit him. I think if they would have gave him something more him, I think he would have been able to connect better. Because, you know, he did some cool stuff. Like, you know, a guy almost 400 pounds doing a splash with off-roads. I remember thinking it was damn cool. And it's still damn cool to see. Did a cool belly-to-belly suplex. He, did, like I say, had a nice drop kick for a man his size. So he had a lot of potential. I just think they gave him a, 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 a poor gimmick. The next segment was when we get introduced to Mr. K. Allen Fry. And he introduces Jesse, who seeing Jesse on WCW, at least for the first time, will never not be cool. I loved it when he first came out. I was like, wow, like this is so cool. He's, uh, you know, he's he's going to call WCW. It'll make them, uh, you know, a little bit more important or whatever. I don't remember exactly what I thought was going to happen, but I thought Jesse gave them a little bit of credibility uh, to the mainstream, at least. Uh, And then... um, they talk about the Sting and Luger main event as if it's like wasn't happening before tonight or something. It was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And then you, then the Luger interview that you talked about that was just not good and pretty boring. And you can tell he's like on his way out. He did not care about this interview at all. Uh, and then you know Sting comes out and uh, and uh, Sting and Jesse are out there. So. So one interesting thing about Kip Fry is he would give bonuses to the the workers for folks who work the hardest or have the best match or whatever. You know, I, I guess it was sort of his his thought process, you know, per show. And the match that got the bonuses for this show was the next match, which is Cactus Jack and Van Hammer. So Cactus and Van Hammer both got 2,400, according to the Wrestling Observer that is uh, 
that that was after this show and referee Nick Patrick got 200. So he gave out $5,000 in incentive bonuses. And this was the match that he decided to give that to. And, you know, if you're going to give, it should have really been like 4,800 to cactus. Cause he's just like mm-hmm. taking these nutty bumps that would be kind of what he was doing at this time, like 91, 92, he was taking ridiculous bumps like this every dang show, even on like TV, like regular TV. He's taking crazy bumps like the power slam on the ramp. He gets hip tossed on the floor. He does that sunset flip where, oh, my God, I just I almost lost my breath rewatching that thing, though it was not as bad as uh, you tell you would probably know the exact clash that this is on which is Cactus Jack and Mil Mascaris, and he does that elbow, uh, or he's going to do the elbow, uh, and he notices that Mascaris isn't there, and so he turns around and Mascaris drop kicks him from the apron to the floor, and he bangs the back of his head on mm-hmm. the concrete. Mm-hmm. Whatever clash that was, that's the sickest one I've ever seen from Mick. You know, I'm talking about WCW Mick. Though that power bomb from Vader was nuts too, so those are probably the top two. But uh, but yeah, like this is like Mick just you know he's just throwing his body around. It's ridiculous in this match. Yeah, this is that was Clash Ten with Mill Mascaris. But yeah, this match was definitely better than I ex- I remember. I know I remember I do remember Cactus taking like the hip toss off the uh, the ramp to the floor. Um, but I forgot about the pa- the power slam looked really good. I you know I thought um, I thought Van Hammer wasn't that bad. You can see like he has athletic ability, um, but you know Cactus was definitely guiding him out there, especially on the brawling stuff. That's where Van Hammer had a lot of trouble with, and you could tell Cactus was like grabbing him, talking to him, getting position, and Hammer was really green on the working part of it. Like he didn't have to work into stuff. He was like just kind of going with Cactus. So. Cactus is his best to kind of cover that stuff up. So, and then um, I never liked the only thing I didn't like about this match is we went to the barn. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, it was silly. That was silly. That that stuff I didn't really dig. I wish it would kind of would have been kept more in the, in the ring around the ringside area. I think it would have. Been and, and, and the reason it does is because basically it sets up uh, Abdullah waiting for Cactus so they can continue their thing. And at that time, you know, a lot of the stuff was Abdullah's like coming out of nowhere and he's coming out of a, a present. And, and so, you know, it was just a way to, to, to be, get the surprise Abdullah show. And also to throw Missy Hyatt into the drink. That was the other thing. So, yeah, it's just the, the whole Abdullah cactus feud was weird because they were, they were partners and they started feuding, but then they got back together again in 92. So it was, it was just, it was just weird. It was weird stuff. I think, I think it could have been done a lot better, but it just didn't really plan it pan out. I always thought the Freebirds were cool when I was younger, mm-hmm. and watching them come out in this match, I was like, "This is terrible." The Fat Birds—they're singing live, and they're oh, like man. they're playing a music video, and Jimmy Jam is trying to pretend that he's singing, and he's not really singing. It was so bad. Uh, match wasn't no match wasn't much. It was a really quick big Josh and Brad Armstrong, um, uh, double DDT to pin Armstrong really, uh, actually a lot quicker match than I thought based on, mm-hmm. uh, based on the end of the, where, where they were coming. But, you know, because they had two long ish main events, this match and the next match were actually pretty quick. 
Yeah, Michael Hayes, I think he's starting to – his back is really starting to to hurt him because you can tell he's gaining a lot of weight, and he's definitely retired by – I want to say, what, by the summer of 92? He's he's out of the ring for um, in WCW, so you can tell, like, he's gained weight here. And I have a funny story. It's not my story technically, but, like, it was actually my friend Tom Caster's story. Like, I always have a story about when I talk about embarrassing moments as a kid when I watch wrestling. And always was I always say it's Paul Bear on my TV. Like, every time Paul Bear is on TV, my dad would come in and be like, oh, my God, what are you watching this crap still for, right? Well, Tom was watching this clash, and out comes the Freeper. <laughs> and his dad either came in or was watching it with him and said what is this crew these two fat guys singing <laughs> these two jackasses and like tom was just completely embarrassed by this i'll never forget that because that story he told me so every time i think about the, this clash i kind of think about that story about tom and, and his moment with his dad when he was just completely embarrassed about watching pro wrestling um this match is just uh, it wasn't that good um weird because the bait fevers were technically still baby faces but they worked heel here their entrances was geared to be baby faces but they're also working two baby faces so it just it just was a mess and then oh by the way you can see jimmy jam uh it something i'm trying to remember what happened i can't i don't know who it was whose issue was but jimmy jam was freaking pissed michael hayes was pissed too they just stormed out they got the dt and they walked out head down and they were fuming and i I'm, I'm guessing it was probably some stuff with big josh and brad didn't come together the way they did and because um, there's a lot of miscommunication in this match it was kind of it was a mess and then uh there was a video of the steiners beating up everybody who was in wwf at the time yeah good stuff good stuff uh and uh because they're gonna face uh, arn anderson and beautiful bobby at super brawl um vinnie vegas is next mm-hmm. so this is the se- third version of kevin nash in wcw as vinnie vegas and he quickly beats thomas rich um it's a. Uh, it's it's very quick and is it the snake eyes i had how, how does he win this match yeah snake eyes i used to um i i used to get a kick out of it because it was pretty clear that it was the same guy and they used to always sell him as like this new guy like i was like wait uh we saw him i i saw him in a tag team like two years ago what do you mean this new guy I saw him at his house show two months ago before this match. Yeah. So, as Oz. As Oz, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to always hate this when a guy would change character within the company. Um, and this was this was one of them. But it's kind of funny looking back at the Vinny Vegas character because you could kind of see Kevin Nash's you know, personality come out here. And his, uh, you know, it's he, he's, he's getting closer to you know his the kevin nash we know here a little bit and he looked he looked good though he looked the best i've seen him at least at this point into in wcw um, it was just a, like a poor gimmick it's like pn news it's just like poor a poor gimmick P, Vinny vegas the guy that's a, a high roller he says he's such he's so he's such a high roller that he has time to wrestle like still <laughs> just making money in, in vegas or something like i just a stupid stupid gimmick it's like when i i got a funny i got a stupid gimmick story for you 
me and uh, my friend Venice DeMarco, we were the mafia, right? I was his manager. He was a wrestler. We worked a show called Brawl in Antioch. And um, the booker at the time was uh, Rick Luxury, a local indie wrestler here. But also this other guy, Joe Applebomber, long-time idiot. Um, and and he comes to me and goes, I got an idea for you guys. Mafia thing's cool. It's cool. You know? Cool, you got the jacket, sparkle jacket, you guys, you guys, the match goes good. But we're going to change your gimmick here. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Stockbrokers. You guys stockbrokers. What? And, uh, and then I'm sitting there like, huh? Like, I'm just I'm listening, but not like, this is stupid. But then Vince, is, Vince, Vince, my friend Vince, he was Venice DeMarco. He was so nice. He's just like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. Like, he's just all excited about it. I'm like, right? <laughs> no way we're doing this. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, I tell Vince after it was over, after we talked, I'm like, Vince, you, you really want to do that gimmick? He's like, yeah, well, it's, you know, for me to push? I'm like, at Brawl in Antioch? Like, we're really worried about our pushes here, right? Yeah. I'm, um, and I'm, and he, this is what he told us, like, yeah, like, during the middle of the match, like, you stop and, like, you, you check your stock. I'm like, what the hell? So that's the last show I ever did for Brawl. Let's tell you that. <laughs> so it's just stupid gimmick story. There you go. That's one of them. And look, this was the time, you know, actually – probably the a few months before where WCW is bringing them all out. And this is how we get Big Josh with the bear. This is how we get PN News. Arachnaman. Arachnaman. This is how we get Johnny. Arachnaman previously being Fantasia. And then Arachnaman. Um, and then uh, Johnny Bad. He was three names. He was uh, Fantasia. This is Brad Armstrong was Fantasia. Then he was. Then they got sued or cease and desist by Disney. So then he was Bad Street, and I actually dug Bad Street as a kid. And then he ended up uh, being at Rackham Man, but they got another letter from Disney, or not Disney, but on Marvel time. And so they had to drop the Spider-Man gimmick, which was completely ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, Bad is is in there, and uh, Diamond Stud comes out. So there's there's lots of lots of new characters uh, mm-hmm. from wh- whoever dusty or whoever was putting these guys together uh okay and so last two matches uh both these matches pretty darn good uh you got dustin ron simmons barry windham uh against arn anderson beautiful bobby and larry zabisco uh and um so barry hits uh beautiful bobby with the cast uh is that how the finish happened mm-hmm yeah this was Barry's first match back from his uh, his wrist injury. He had a really bad wrist injury that like, plagued him. He finally got surgery on it, and then they did the angle at Colin Havoc where the enforcers slammed his arm into the door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, this was his first match back. It's, I mean, it's always cool for me to see Dustin Rhodes outside of Gold Dust or, you know, the version of Dustin that we see today because he... You know, at that point, I thought this guy's going to be, you know, he's going to be WCW champion at some point mm-hmm. and never happened. Uh, he never he you know, he never went to that next level. And then, you know, he, he goes to WWE or WWF and was at 96 or whatever as gold dust. So never happened. But I always saw him as like the guy. And, you know, at some point, uh, Ron Simmons is is also going to going to get a bit of a push into the into the world title picture. So, you know, this was a, this was kind of a cool look back. I almost forgot that this match was even on the show. 
Yeah, this this match is uh, really good, um, and I, I mean, it made me really think about this show because I'm like, man, this show's not that bad. A lot of good matches on it. Yeah, at least four of them, and and you know, all all you know, at this time, I remember in '92 with the Dangerous Alliance, they they always had a lot of really good six man or tag team matches. The Dangerous Lions versus Wyndham or Dustin or Dustin and Steamboat, Ron Simmons thrown in, so. So um, yeah, it's just it made me remind me of that era, and I was thinking about those those matches on television, and this is another good one. The main event, uh, like I said, Jesse was on this show on just the main event, and listening to Jesse call matches, hmm. especially with uh, uh, some of the announcing that we get today, was actually really fun. He's he was uh, I, I guess I wouldn't say he was in his prime. Like he's probably like his top notch. Jesse is probably like I would say like 87 88 but still he's still really good in this era um also in this match Austin has uh what was off for a little while because he 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 messed up his knee and it's funny when you read back in the observers when Dave didn't know the exact knee injury or the exact thing for the knee injury he would just say blown out his knee so austin is coming back from blowing out his knee yeah uh and uh sting and steamboat uh that they win the match but just uh it's just a very memorable memorable match for me because of the the steamboat thing but you know it made me wonder so obviously sting is getting this title and if this was WWF at the time, and let's say Hogan is getting the title, in this match, this main event match to get him ready for the championship match, he is looking as close to Superman or Hercules as you could possibly get. And while the babyface is won here, I didn't feel like Sting was that much different than the rest of these three guys and that you know it didn't feel like oh wow i can't wait to see sting win this title it was like oh yeah like sting and steamboat were kind of fun together like i, I don't know if you i don't know how you thought about that but i was like thinking like as i was watching this match how would vince have booked sting in this match he would have probably booked him as like superman to get him ready for winning the title well, here's the thing, because after the match, they do the post-match beatdown of Sting and Steamboat, because, you know, earlier that night, Heyman, Paul, Paulie Dangerously said that they're going to take out Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. going to get injured. Yeah, so after the match, you know, they beat up Sting, and they beat up, they beat up Steamboat, because Luger's not wrestling until Super Brawl. Yep. So during these house shows, you know, that they're coming up, it's going to be Sting and the fellow baby faces versus the Dangerous Alliance, so that's why... It was kind of more attention towards the house show business instead of like maybe, you know, they have time because, you know, they have like four weeks to lead up to Super Bowl. They could definitely, you know, put Sting over, you know, in those weeks coming up. But uh, they were kind of more concentrating on the the story, the, the, the house show business that was going to follow this. You know, I, I, I get that. I get it. I, to- I totally understand it. I just when I was when I was watching this, I thought. I should be a little bit more fired up to see the top baby face go into the title match. And I didn't get that feeling coming out of this show, which is, I mean, this isn't the go home, obviously, right? This isn't the go home, but it is the, the special show, you know, 
per, before the the pay per view. They they didn't do it exactly the same, but as WWF. But I, I was just like, hmm. I, I kind of wanted to be a little bit more fired up that Sting was going to win this championship. It was funny if you watch. I haven't watched this match in a long time, so I didn't realize when I was younger, or even part of the last time I watched this, how clunky the finish was. Like <laughs> Steve Austin picks up uh, Steamboat. Right for a body slam, and Sting's gonna come on top rope, crossbody, you know, uh, Austin while he's gonna about to slam Steamboat, right? Well, like Austin goes to pick up Steamboat, Sting's not even on top rope yet, so he has to like backbreaker Steamboat, <laughs> and then they kind of then he goes for it again, and like Sting's still not there, so he just does a body slam Steamboat or something, or maybe backbreaker again, I'm trying to remember. But then, then he finally picks him up, and finally Sting's in position for the finish. I thought I just got a kick out of that, yeah. No, it's, it's it wasn't a, a great match. Um, just there are some moments on this show that are pretty memorable, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going back to uh, to watch this. And and I'm kind of interested. I kind of want to just have Super Bowl in the background uh, one of these days because I remember that being, being a, a really fun show, but just that the main event wasn't as good as I hoped it was going to be. But I, I remember that show being pretty fun. No, that show is awesome. I mean, I mean, you got the Liger and Pillman. I remember the opener being being tremendous. Ron Simmons, Cactus Jack is a lot of fun. Even you know, JYD returns, it gets a huge pop. Um, uh, what else happened on that show? The tag match with Barry Windham and Dustin Rose versus Steve Austin and, and Larry Zbysko is really good. Steiner's Eaton and Anderson is really good. Uh, Steamboat Rick Rude's good. Uh, yeah, just you know, it's just it's not a bad match, but like Sting and Luger was just a disappointed for me because i just i was hoping for this you know classic matchup we didn't get it and you know luger was over 300 pounds jacked the gills and i don't think he's going he wasn't going past fucking 15 minutes no way no way uh okay so that is it from here uh we will be back next week hope to have um we'll we'll see I, i i want to talk to jeremy botter because he has his own newsletter, his own uh, email newsletter called Wizard. And he wrote, uh, he's, I mean, he, a lot of that newsletter is kind of uh, things that he had learned being a reporter and being a writer. And now he feels a little bit more free to, uh, to share some, some things that he may have seen. And he, he's really down on this upcoming UFC 249 show just from a health perspective and from a, you know, a promoter who may not uh, be uh, thinking about his, his, uh, his fighters as much as he is about the bottom line, which is, you know, that's part of his job with Dana White, which is to make sure that the UFC and Endeavor uh, get their money from TV. So, uh, well, I, I hope to get him on for next week, and uh, if I can, I think it'll it'll be a fun it'll be a fun interview because I really I really like uh, I like his newsletter. It is so I think some people will think it's very negative to the UFC, which I to- I would totally understand. But uh, but he's got great stories and and he's you know he's talked to pretty much everybody. So uh, fun stuff from him, and hopefully so hopefully we'll get him on to talk about UFC two forty nine. And then John and I will be back if we if I can do enough of the research this weekend. We will start the ascent to Flair Hogan nineteen ninety four Halloween Havoc. Um, hopefully I can do that, but uh, otherwise also look for fightgamemedia.com. 
uh, we'll, you know, if you follow Fight Game Media or myself on Twitter, I'll be tweeting out a lot of stuff in this upcoming week because I think it's going to be a pretty interesting week. We'll see UFC's back and it's the, the first main show and we'll see, you know, we'll see how much uh, coverage and publicity there is for them. And, you know, they're doing a big pay-per-view and they got a great card that will probably do a pretty good rating on ESPN too. So, you know, it's kind of our, our first time where we've actually had something going on since WrestleMania. So it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun to cover all week long. So for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.